Emma and welcome to the Hopes and Dreams podcast. The journey to parenthood isn't always easy. For many, fertility can be one of life's greatest challenges. And in this podcast, we'll be talking to people with all different types of journeys, including stories of loss and grief, but also, and most importantly, of strength and hope. We'll talk openly about different experiences to provide you with advice, support and coping strategies and hopefully some comfort and to help you feel less alone. Thanks for listening. Hello and welcome to the last episode of season one of the Hopes and Dreams podcast and it's a really powerful story of struggle and hope to end on. Thank you to my friends Pamela and Jon for joining me today from all the way down under in beautiful Sydney, Australia. I've known Pamela and Jon for many years and they are the epitome of couple goals. The enviable couple that after many years together still fancy each other so much and are best friends, but their journey to parenthood has been very challenging and today they'll be talking about how Pamela overcame cervical cancer, which meant she couldn't have a baby naturally, and after some journey of becoming parents via surrogacy, I really, really appreciate you both coming on to share your story because it's really inspiring. Thanks, guys. Hey, Emma, and thank you very much for having us on. It's great to have a chat to you and... uh... Yeah, tell the story that we, we have to tell. Uh, and it's, it's amazing. Every time I read about it, and I, going through the notes, I, 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 knew, I knew a lot of it, but not, not all of it. So it's really great to, to hear, you know, what you had to go through to have beautiful baby Quinn at the end of it. Yes. So let's rewind a bit. Let's rewind a bit to the beginning, where, the, where your sort of journey to parenthood began. After you got married and you moved to Australia, is, is this when you started thinking about having a family? Yeah, it was, Emma. Hi. And I love that you started off that we still fancy each other because it's so true. Um, Yeah, so gosh, it was back in, um, I think it was about 2011. um, So I just was in my early 30s, 31, I think. And we'd been married a couple of years. We'd been living, we'd moved from the UK, where obviously we knew you and we're living in Australia. And we were starting to talk about having kids. And um, I went into the doctor. I was just like, oh, I'll just start to talk about coming off the pill and just get a pap smear, which I hadn't had, I think, in a year or two. Um, and so I went in and had the smear and, um, it came back abnormal, which I wasn't overly worried about. I'd had one abnormal smear before. So back in the UK, um, so I was referred to a specialist, which I thought at the time was a bit overkill because last time I just had a second one and that was it. But I went to the specialist, um, and when I went in for the results, I was absolutely shocked when she told me that I had cancer. It was... I, I didn't, was not expecting it. Jan was not there. I didn't have anyone with me because I was just so not expecting this news. And um, I had popped out of my lunch break and she told me I had cancer and we were just, uh, uh, you know, Jan, I mean, I don't know if you remember when I found you. It was just such a shock to both of us. It very, so unexpected. Absolutely. I still remember I was working on a job when I got the phone call and had to, I just dropped everything. And uh, yeah, when it came, it was, yeah, I was in bits. It was uh, pretty tough, tough to hear. Yeah. So, um, look, when we kind of got over, I guess, the initial shock, um, ultimately it was the experience itself of the, of the cancer, I guess, compared to a lot of people was, was not 
too bad. So um, I did have to go in for surgery. Um, they were able to cut the tumor out. They got really good um, around the whole tumor, like good clearance around it. Um, and I luckily didn't have to undergo any chemo or radiotherapy, which I'm which I'm really thankful for. Um, we did have a lot of discussions before the surgery because my surgeon had, with taking out the tumor, she'd also wanted to remove my uterus. So um, that's one of the safest ways. And I guess most people who have cer- cervical cancer are a little bit older. She was quite surprised at my age. Um, and most people have had their families. And so they, as fairly standard, they tend to take out the uterus as well as taking out the tumor because this reduces the chances of the cancer ever returning. Um, but obviously we had not started our family yet. So, um, this also came as this other shock and was, was nearly worse than finding out about the cancer that they actually wanted to take the uterus. Um, so, you know, Jan and I talked about it and I fought really hard to, to keep it as we really wanted to try to have kids. Um, and my ovaries were still fine and, and everything. So we could, we could still have kids, but through IVF. So, um, the surgeon kind of agreed to that. Um, and so they went in, took out the tumor and then, um, all was good, got great clearance. And then I kind of went back in for a couple of checkups, make sure everything was looking okay. And, um, things were kind of a little bit strange. My periods hadn't returned, which they would have expected by my sort of second or third, um, uh, checkup. Um, and they went in and had a look, couldn't really understand what was going on. So I got referred to another specialist, an IVF specialist. And we spent months with her trying to figure out if we could get uh, pregnant. So, I mean, it was going to be through IVF. So we we're going to have to do a round of IVF. But what she was doing was checking my uterus, trying to increase the lining of the uterus, pumping me full of drugs to try and get something kind of going there because the lining was so thin and, and, and she couldn't understand really why or what was happening. Um, but we needed to get it to a certain um, level to be able to obviously carry a baby. So after quite a few months of this, um, they discovered that what a, what they appear what appears to have happened is that during the original surgery, the blood supply to my uterus was damaged. So something's happened in there and it could not be rectified. So even though we fought to try and keep my uterus, in the end, it actually didn't matter because this this damage had been done and um, we discovered and I and I was just never going to be able to to carry a baby in that uterus. So that was, I guess, our second devastation of of this journey. Because it's two devastations, isn't it? You have to cope with a, a cancer diagnosis, the C word no one ever wants to hear. And then also that finality of, of not being able to keep your uterus. So that thought of being able to carry a child yourself, which was so important to a mother and father, that that, that, that wasn't going to happen and that you would need to look at other ways. How That must have been really heartbreaking for you both. Oh, absolutely. I think there's a third in there as well, as the fact that Pamela took the risk of you know, it coming back again by not having the uterus removed um, all in, in vain in the end. You know, if we would have known what we did know, she probably would have had it done and, and not, yeah, taken that out of the equation. So, yeah, it was a bit of a, a triple header um, of bad news for us. Yeah, we were, we were, we were so devastated. And, and look, at, luckily, what age am I now? 42. 
Um, it's it's been sort of almost well ten years since since that's happened, and the cancer has not come back. Now I do still go in for regular checkups, and there's nothing to say that it, it won't come back. Um, but it was a little bit of kind of frustration that after all of that, um, you know, it, it, we we weren't going to be able to have a child. Um, and we were just, yeah, devastated. I mean, Jan and I had always wanted to have a family and, and thought it would be fairly easy for us or, you know, um, and, and so it was, it was quite a shock when, when we found out that that wasn't going to be a, a reality at that time. Because as I said earlier, you're a fantastic couple and um, that would be the natural next step. And I knew knowing you for the short time I did in London um, back then that you would make fantastic parents. So I I understand how devastating that would have would have been. And and so when you were when you'd got over one, you'd never get over the, the shock of those three things, as Jan said, when you're considering your options, when did sort of surrogacy come into the picture? And were there any other options on the table for you in terms of adoption or, or anything else? Yeah, so we, you know, some of the doctors had mentioned surrogacy here and there through this time um, from from the diagnosis right right through to all of this um, happening. Um, but it wasn't very common back then. Um, you know, the only person we knew that it had done surrogacy was Nicole Kidman. Um, and we were far from celebrities um, or, you know, being able to have the money to do this. So we didn't really think about it to begin with when when it was kind of banded around. So we actually initially started to really look at um, adoption. Um, but it was it was so complicated. Um, we we weren't residents of Australia at the time, and and it's very difficult in Australia anyway to to adopt. It's one of the more difficult um, places to adopt from, even if we wanted to go um, internationally. Um, so it was going to be a, an eight to ten year process before we could have a child, which that wasn't the main reason, but we kind of realized, okay, that's going to take us a long time. Um, also having cancer, there was a bit of black mark against us, you know, for, you know, I understand obviously they want to put a child with healthy parents. Um, we then, we looked at, considered returning to the UK, we'd lived there for 10 years. And so we considered, do we move back to the UK? Um, but we would have to start all over again. You need to be there for a certain amount of time before you can even apply for adoption. Um, and so that was going to be another five to 10 years before we, and, and then there's no guarantees with adoption. Um, and, and so it really, we, we considered, you know, adoption in all sorts of ways and from all sorts of countries, we did a lot of research on it, but it just was looking really, really complicated on top of already kind of, I guess, a bit of a stressful time and, and for us at that, at, at that stage. I think as well, the, the opportunity, because your ovaries were still absolutely fine and everything, the opportunity that we could still biologically have our own children, I think that also swayed it towards surrogacy after the adoption was process was just going to be too long. You know, we, we kind of saw this opportunity that we could still have, you know, our own kid, which, you know, was, was such a, a big deal at the time and, you know, still is. Yeah, and that makes total sense. But it doesn't help that the systems are so long and complicated that you wait so long and you hope to have a baby and then the systems then then mean even longer to wait or heartache or uncertainty. So I guess it makes an already emotional scenario even harder for you, doesn't it? Absolutely. It does. Yeah, exactly. 
So, so then did you start looking at surrogacy in a bit more detail following those discussions and looking into the other options for you? Yeah, so after we'd, we'd kind of looked at some of those um, adoption processes and, and how long it was going to take, we, we sort of came back to, I guess, the, the surrogacy option and thought, as Jan mentioned, that, you know, well, there is this opportunity for us. We, we our, our other bits are still working. Um, you know, maybe we'll we'll consider looking into it. So we started to do some research and we we found a support group on Facebook. Um, and honestly, this was just, I think, the saving grace of, of everything. The support network that we found was just amazing. So they did regular meetups um, and it was all around the area that we live in. So we joined a couple of meetups and it was just so refreshing to meet people who were just normal. Um, you know, they weren't celebrities with deep pockets. They were just totally normal people. You know, all of them had complicated histories. You know, no one enters into surrogacy lightly. Um, you know, there, there is a bit of controversy around it. And people don't do it just because they, they don't want to put on weight or they, you know, don't want to have, a, you know, push a baby out. People do it because they have very big medical issues that mean that they cannot carry a baby and we met uh, gay couples we met people with serious medical issues but everyone had just one thing in common which was this deep desire to have a child to have a child of their own um, and we actually met some couples who who had been through surrogacy and were there with their um with their kids and you know it was just so nice to see these people and their children and their children were normal and the couples were normal and they were shouting at their kids and toddlers and as any normal couple would be um and and so that was amazing so it was really great to meet people and you know talk to them about what they'd been through and how they'd done it and and meet their kids so um yeah that was that was a great big 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 step in in this journey And and that's the, the the good side of Facebook or social media in the sense that a lot of people on the podcast have felt great, great have found sort of great comfort speaking to different people on these various groups um, and getting that advice. And I guess for you guys, it must have helped so much seeing people with that happy ending to give you hope and comfort in your own journey. Did that help, Bjorn? Oh, absolutely. And a lot of the people we met had had been through years and years of, of miscarriages and just so many heartbreaking stories. So we actually felt we were quite new to the party on on everything and to meet these people that you know had, had had managed to you know have a kid through everything really kind of gave us hope that this was the the right way forward for us and uh, that we should you know look into it a bit more and then find out as much as we could and Pamela you, you said in the past that this group was the sort of foundation to your journey it really started you know progressing things for you yeah, it was. This um, support group, um, you know, really helped us, helped us chat to some people, find out what they'd been through. And then through that, we actually found um, some conferences and and um, we spoke to some people and we met some agencies and we started to kind of really explore all of the options. And so, um, and find out a little bit more about the legalities around it. Um, so, for, for those that may not be aware, so commercial surrogacy um, is where you pay for somebody to carry your child. Um, and this is illegal in, in most countries. Um, altruistic surrogacy um, 
which is when someone offers to carry your baby and there, there's no payment, there's no financial, ap- apart from their expenses, like their medical expenses, obviously they're not out of pocket. Um, so that is permitted in a lot of countries and it is permitted in Australia, um, whereas commercial surrogacy is not. So we did um, look at the altruistic surrogacy um, and, and try to find someone. So, you know, it's quite common for a sister or a friend or, or even a mother um, to, to carry a child for somebody. Um, and we, we unfortunately could not find somebody. It's a very big thing for somebody to do. And, and, and we weren't able to go down the altruistic route. Um, there is a matching service in Australia, but there are so few um surrogates and so so many couples and people and single people even who are who are out there looking for um for a surrogate and we just um it was just really difficult to try to find somebody so we went down uh investigating the commercial route even though technically that is illegal in Australia um so we looked at India for quite a while. We were considering it. I was actually um, there for work, um, traveling there. And I visited some clinics while I was there and had some appointments. And um, the, the challenge with India at the time was that it was going to be very difficult for us to get a passport for the baby um, when, once the baby was born in India. And we'd have to spend quite a, a lot of time there. Now, I love love India. It's I, I travel there actually quite a lot for work. And, and we were kind of starting to get around the idea of being living there for a couple of months. Um, but the, the challenge around the passport was, was very difficult. And actually, this was probably one of our biggest complications over the years. Um, more because of our own personal situation. I don't necessarily think it's what every couple goes through. But um, as you know, and maybe everyone on the podcast can detect I'm Irish, although I don't think I've got an accent. Um, <laughs> and <laughs> in Ireland, um, the intended mother, so we call it intended parents. So Jan is the intended father, I'm the intended mother or IPs. We've got all these these acronyms in the surrogacy world. So um, the intended mother is actually not recognized as being the legal parent or legal mother. So I couldn't pass on my citizenship uh, to the child. Um, Jan is from New Zealand, but he wasn't born there. He moved there when he was about 18 months. So um, he, uh, through various complications, he couldn't pass on his citizenship. Um, So we needed a country where it was legal um, and that the baby could be given a passport from that country. Um, And that main option is the US. So you probably, anyone who who knows anything about surrogacy, you know, a lot of people do go to the US. So it is legal there in many, many states. It's got a very long history, and which is a good thing. Um, they've got great laws and regulations. Um, the baby is given an American passport um, on birth. So you can leave the country within a matter of days or weeks. Um, uh, whereas for places like India and actually ultimately where we ended up, which was the Ukraine, you can be there for months with a newborn baby in a strange country with no family. Um, so there's a lot of great things about the US and, and a lot of couples and, and, and people and single people. In fact, it's one of the only options if you're um, single. Um, a lot of people go to the US, but unfortunately, the downside is the cost in the US. So um, surrogacy in America starts at around 150,000 US. Um, and actually it was, that was the starting fee when we were talking about this five, six years ago. So I'm sure that's gone up. Um, but it can end in kind of upwards of 300,000, um, us, if there are any kind of complications. So, 
um, uh, you know, it, it, there can be medical bills and insurance. And, and really the sad part of all of that is that the surrogate actually only gets a very small amount of that 300,000. And it all really goes to um, insurance, medical, legal, um, etc. So the price was high. We did consider it for quite a while as it, as it seemed to be one of our only options. And actually, I was also there for work. Um, and I, and I, Jan and I went to a couple of appointments there and we did some tests and, and started to explore it. But we just, we just realized we couldn't afford it. So we had to consider some, some other options. That's it. That's not, so it's not only complicated in process, of course, costs, hot cost massively comes into it too. And that's an eye watering amount of money. And obviously you'd spend it because you want a baby, but you know, it's whether you can afford going down that route. And for many, I'm guessing, like you said, it was unaffordable, the American route. And I guess for many other people, it's not affordable either. Yeah, um, absolutely. And I mean, for a lot of other couples, it, it surrogacy often comes at the end of, of, I, you know, assume a, a heartbreaking journey of um, probably many failed IVF to, uh, IVF attempts, um, which is very costly. Um, so, uh, you know, we, we didn't have that piece to it, um, but um, it, it is it is uh, an expensive exercise. Very, very worth it, obviously, as we know. But yes, yeah, so, so in order to afford it, um, you know, we did sell our flat um we we owned property we decided to sell it we had big conversations about whether it was the right thing to do and um, but ultimately we decided that sitting in our little flat uh with just the two of us um was was not going to be as good as hopefully you know sitting in some other flat that we rented um with with having a little baby in it so that was the the route we decided i know many other people you know have borrowed money taking out big loans taking out their um um, their super, it's called superannuation over here, but their pension, you know, people have, have found all sorts of ways to try to fund this, but yeah, it, it is not a, a cheap, um, an easy journey at all. Jan, do you remember those conversations about, um, what you were going to do to sort of fund it and, and, and how important it was to you both to, to keep going with this? Yeah, absolutely. And, um, as I said, we, you know, we did look down the U S we were over there, we were doing tests, you know, we're thinking this Pretty much at the time, we thought it was going to be the only option um, because of the um, citizenship and the, the passport. And, you know, if we had to try and find the money, we, we would. But, um, yeah, it was pretty pretty overwhelming. A um, lot of conversations about it. And, you know, we, you know, luckily we ended up going to, you know, another another conference in, in Sydney where we, we met a few other companies from, you know, agencies from different countries and it kind of gave us a few more options and it kind of started the ball rolling on, yeah, on much more affordable options that um, that we, we could do. Yeah, exactly. And um, so, yeah, because it, because you guys come from different parts of the world as well, adds an extra complication onto everything, as you, as you said. So, Pamela, then what did you, what route did you decide to go down eventually once you'd been to all these other events and spoken to more people about what your options were yeah so um as i said the, these these conferences we went to were amazing so so research is so important in all of this and um we had kind of ruled out the us we started to look at mexico was a was a new place for surrogacy that was um people were starting to talk about which which we investigated 
um, Thailand was somewhere we considered for a while and, and Canada. And then, um, as Jan mentioned, we found this agency and started to, uh, they were based in Ukraine. And we started to talk to them and we started to talk to a few more people um, who'd been to the Ukraine and, and gone on that journey. Um, and so that was the place we ultimately um, chose. So it was part of it was about um, affordability. Um, but actually, um, they had had surrogacy legally in, in Ukraine for well over 10 years. I think it's in fact a little bit longer than that. Um, and so there was a level of comfort that, you know, some of these other places are, are opening to um, to intended parents like Mexico, as I said, is a new place. But Ukraine is, is fairly established, although not that well known. Um, and so meeting some people who had been there um, and also, you know, it was uh, the, the thought was that it's kind of close to home. If we're over there, we can we can zip over to Ireland for a little trip. So um, there was a couple of things that that made us take that route. And yeah, so ultimately we settled on the Ukraine and, and we we went there for a visit um, actually on one of our trips back to Europe um, to see to see my family. Um, we went for a couple of days to Kiev just to sort of see what it would be like, meet the agency, meet the doctors, go to the clinic, check it all out before we kind of made our decision. Um, and so, yeah, that was ultimately where we where we ended up um, having our having our our, I guess, our journey and, and ultimately having our baby, our baby girl. I think as well with I mean, our hand was, I think, also forced with with everything being so new and there's a lot of grey area around surrogacy at the time. But as, as fast as countries seem to be opening up, they seem to be shutting down as well and, and, and laws and international laws were changing all the time. So, you know, when we're looking down India, we were going to have trouble with citizenship, but also they started shutting their borders. Um, Thailand was another one that started shutting its borders. So every time we kind of changed our focus on somewhere, it seemed to shut down. But uh, as you say, the Ukraine had a pretty long kind of history stable history and it was one of the only countries where the contract is backed by federal law um so it can't really be challenged and you know um that also made it seem like a much safer bet as well so that that helped kind of push us that in that direction so having to keep up with lots of legal like laws and everything and then also a lot of air miles that you had to to fly around to, to, to meet this, which of course you would do because you have to do your research and make sure it's the right choice for you and the right people. Yep. So then how did you how did you select a surrogate or what, how were you matched with someone? That must have been quite an overwhelming decision. Yeah, we. Um, it's quite an interesting one. It's a little bit like dating someone and getting a profile um, and – as intended parents sitting there, we, we didn't quite know what we were looking for, I guess, when we first were sent a few profiles. So, you know, the, the surrogates um, are vetted medically first. So um, for, for those, those that don't know, um, to be a surrogate in, in most commercial situations. So in the U.S. and Ukraine and some of the other places, um, you need to be um, of a certain age. You need to have had your own children already. So if you haven't had a child, you're not um, considered uh, as an option. So you need to have had your own children and also be um, have completed your journey. Like so if you if you have two kids and think you might want another kid in the future, they you know, you really need to have, um, be finished having your own children um, have had healthy pregnancies um, be in general good health. 
Um, and they do also do um, checks on their um, psychological checks and, and mental health and, and making sure that they are, you know, a good fit for, for something like this. Because it is, um, it is a quite a big thing for, for a woman to do. And um, so they, they've already vetted um, and checked um, on the surrogates by the time we, we would get a profile. So, you know, we got four or five profiles with photos and, you know, ages. It talks a lot about their pregnancies on there. So that's probably one of the things we're like, okay, so we can read, you know, how many children have they had? Was it uh, a C-section or was it um, um, natural birth? Um, and, you know, do they have any medical issues or anything? So um, we, we, we got those and, and it was quite hard, John. I don't even know how we actually had, we started, we had a bit of a false start with one surrogate um before we we ended up with our surrogate marina but um when we had those profiles can you even remember what we were we were kind of talking about when we were it was it was quite difficult i yeah absolutely you know it was a face and a few facts and it, as you said it was like like a dating kind of thing you're just basing everything on on this kind of one profile which you know obviously the, the medical side of it was more in depth and that was that was, was all fine but you you know, were you looking, okay, was this a married lady of, of you know, 35 with kids or was it a, a mum on her own that was 26 that, you know, and then it becomes, you know, who would benefit more from the, you know, from the, the money, you know, is it, where's it going to go further? So, yeah, it was it was really hard trying to choose and I, I still can't really even remember how we, we ended up landing and picking the one we did. It just felt right and I think, you know, again the, the age he was she was mid thirties and she had finished, obviously finished with all her kids and um she'd done it once before and it was a success. So that, you know, that was a good indicator as well. But um yeah, it was it was not a straightforward process, that's for sure. Um and yeah, so then uh we uh landed on Marina and um said okay this this surrogate looks amazing let's do it and um and so we had the the, the process uh so some people go to ukraine and, and create the embryos there um some people are in a situation where they actually need donor um embryos and sperm potentially um so you know everyone even through surrogacy everyone's journey is very very different um but so our situation um, was that Jan and I had gone through a round of IVF um, a year or two prior. And so we had two embryos in Australia um, that we shipped to the Ukraine. Um, that in itself was a complicated, every step is complicated. Um, that was a little difficult. So we actually had to lie to our clinic in Australia uh, and tell them we were not entering into a surrogacy arrangement. Um, I did mention earlier that it is um, not legal to enter a commercial surrogacy arrangement um, in Australia. So even though we were uh, doing the surrogacy outside of Australia, technically we were still um, breaking the law. Um, but Jan and I talked about this also long and hard and just figured that the greater good was a um, was a baby. And they had not put anyone in jail for this as yet. So um, it's worth the we, risk. it was worth the risk, absolutely. And so... We told a little white lie to our clinic and the embryos were shipped to the Ukraine. Um, and um, yeah, so we, one was implanted in Marina and actually one, um, ultimately we had, we had another surrogate that the other was planted into, but unfortunately we did um, lose that. Um, the, the surrogate had a miscarriage at eight weeks. So we, we lost that second one, unfortunately. 
Um, but so Marina um, got or had a successful, um, we were we were told we were pregnant. And um, yeah, then I think we just went into shock. Yeah. Yeah, it was, we were doing a lot just leading up to this. Um, basically, I, for myself, getting Australian citizenship and, and, and getting that done and dusted. So as soon as we knew that was happening, we could we could hit the green light on, on uh, Marina and, and getting everything started in the Ukraine. So that was, everything was just crazy on both ends of, you know, the actual medical side of it and also the, all the, the many, many documents and legals that we were going through trying to get citizenships and everything sorted. Um, but yeah, it was... Uh, it was an experience and absolutely fraught as you've described with challenges and things you had to overcome whether documents and 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 getting things out of australia and the risks that you know but totally as you said worth it to to take that risk and and do that and but making the journey incredibly difficult and how can you talk a little bit about how the appointments work and how you kept in contact with Marina during during the pregnancy? And it it must have been really tricky doing that across different countries. And were you worried? Um, you mentioned that you sadly lost the second embryo in a, in an early miscarriage. Were you were you consciously uh, constantly anxious that um, after the embryo was implanted that it would work? You know, and, and how you kept your relationship. Um, going through those months with marina as well yeah i think i think we're generally even with with the second embryo not making i think we were pretty pretty positive you know with it um we were in touch with the agency quite a bit um funny enough um we did a a, a skype call with marina before um it all kind of kicked off and we had chosen her as a surrogate and we were there with the translator and you know we were telling everything you know, asking her all these questions and everything and, and, you know, talking a little bit about ourselves. And then at the end of it, we, we asked if there was any questions, you know, she had for us and she was quite Ukrainian stern and was like, just said no. And that was kind of it. So we didn't really have much of a, a relationship to start with, but as soon as, you know, she, you know, she, you know, she was pregnant and it got, you know, into the, you know, first, second, third month kind of thing, then um, a bit of conversation started opening up. We, we, we got each other's numbers on WhatsApp. We started messaging, um and i mean everything was through google translate so it was pretty hard she didn't know a word of english and we didn't know a word of ukraine so ukrainian um so it relationship kind of built up from there and you know we were more and more comfortable the more we kind of got to know her and you know i think we were quite positive you know with 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 quinn and and you know where she where she was at and yeah i think we just had been through everything so any glimmer of hope we were just we were just happy to have how did you feel, Pamela? Yeah, <laughs> I was definitely, Jan's definitely on the glass half full. Um, I'm not completely uh, pessimistic, but definitely had some anxiety. I think I imagine like any pregnancy, you know, uh, I, you know, really wanted to get that 12 to that 12 week mark um to feel some sort of like safety net there even though that's there's no guarantee but like at every stage and every appointment um so our agency was great about keeping us updated there's lots of that they'll let us know um and actually surrogates um in a situation like ukraine they actually tend to have much more appointments um than you would at a, at a, in a back in the uk with your um with a regular pregnancy so we were actually updated like every step of the way we got amazing scans and 3d scans it's amazing what they do now um but yeah i would always get a little anxious before um every appointment and just uh you know we'd had such bad luck and such 
bad stories along the way and and I and I it was almost like I just uh, couldn't believe that it was happening and that it was all going so well and and that she kind of got pregnant and with this first embryo but as I said when we when we when we lost the second um that definitely made me more anxious but um yeah so I definitely had some anxiety around it Jan was definitely a little bit more um positive um so um but marina was amazing and 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 the relationship really built over time and and it's amazing with um what you can do with photos and and as opposed to just language you know she would often send photos of her family and we would send photos of our dog and and uh um getting we would send pictures of our family and things so um yeah the relationship really really built up um till, till we finally got got to the ukraine and that, that's so lovely, though, to build that relationship with photos and work out the language Google Translate to kind of build that relationship with someone when the language barrier there. But then also everyone, when you're pregnant, especially if you've been through a journey to get there, is an anx- anxious thing. And if it's not your body um, going through it yourself, even though it's your embryo, that you can't, you, it's feeling that daily reassurance, especially later in the pregnancy. So having someone reassure you with messages and stuff is so important. And I'm not surprised you were anxious and nervous, but that's what, why it's good to have Jan, who's the cool, calm um, New Zealander who's there to sort <laughs> exactly. of reassure you going through that as well. Um, and then can you, what, what was it like going to the Ukraine? You know, I'm presuming you, you obviously went there a certain period before the birth. And what was that like meeting Marina and your baby growing in her tummy and the birth, the hospital? How did how did that all feel? Sorry, big question, but wow. um, good one. <laughs> oh, it was absolutely amazing. It was, there were so many emotions going on from, you know, actually arriving there and, and, and meeting Marina and actually seeing a little bump and thinking, wow, this is actually, it's actually happening, you know, and, and frantically running around getting the apartment that we rented out kind of ready with what we thought we would need and, and finding the local, you know, supermarket shops and this and that. And, and, you know, not many people knew English. So it was, that made it another level of, of, of difficult, but um, yeah, I mean, it's such a, an amazing amazing city you know so much history so we got to kind of run around and, and do a few you know quick tours and and enjoy the lovely food and and meet a few other surrogate people through you know some networks we've, we've, we've made um so that kind of i think meeting other people over there um that were pretty much different stages you know some had brand new newborns others were the you know just about to get their visa and and leave um and that kind of just really kind of cemented that it was it was happening and we could you know we could Kind of see how close it was became really real for you both yeah yeah it was i mean it was fantastic to to finally land in in kiev and and before we left um and and i think it's an important thing to add to our story and and i think everyone or anyone who's maybe considering surrogacy or um you know we thought long and hard about how we would deal with the situation and 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 um tell people but Jan and I were from this decision was made and from we got pregnant we were very open with everybody like I remember going to when we got to the 12 week mark and I told my work um about it you know and it's most people um uh, have not met somebody who's been through a, a surrogate journey it is still quite new and so there was lots of interesting questions and things and and I think it's just kind of important to add there and it, it's you know you need to think about what you um how you want to deal with it but from from the very 
start of it, we decided that we were just going to be open and honest. We would tell people. We had some very interesting questions. I think um, uh, when we started talking about India, I think uh, Jan's... um, a friend of Jan's back in New Zealand thought he was actually going to have to go to India and sleep with a woman and to, to get pregnant. <laughs> so didn't fully understand the concept of IVF and, and surrogacy. Um, but we loved, we embraced all of the questions. Like we were, when, when, when people kind of look at us a little bit strangely, we would be very happy to sort of um, tell them our story and our journey and, and what was happening and um, all about Marina and show photos. And, and we were very open on social media and that was quite important to it. We're always on social media. We're big, Facebook and Instagram and um you know we didn't want to pretend you know some people pretend and that's okay if that's what they want to do they pretend to to look pregnant and all of that we were like this is our story there's this amazing woman who's giving us this gift so um I just want to add that that in there but um but back to Kiev yeah the moment we met Marina that was also quite nerve-wracking um we we landed in about two weeks before and and you know we knew some people um so through this community this online community and we knew some people in um that were were, had either been to uh, ukraine or were going um and unfortunately some people do miss the do miss the birth um and it was a, a something we were a little bit worried about because obviously as you know babies can you know arrive at any time they're not necessarily coming on their due date so we took the risk that we you know we chatted to a lot of people found out people go out roughly 2 to 3 weeks before the baby is due you have to hope that the baby doesn't um arrive before then we know a couple of people who missed the birth um a lot of people we actually met a few um couples from the uk and actually a really a lovely couple that we know well from ireland and they're a lot closer so if um if a surrogate went into labor they could jump on a flight and get there pretty quickly but um for the aussies that was going to take a little bit longer so um, and actually, there's a little bit of complication with getting into Kiev with um, visas and things. So just to add another another layer of paperwork to uh, our already many, many, many layers. Um, and so, yeah, we, we arrived there. Um, we got to meet Marina a few times. Um, I got to touch the bump. That was like such a big thing to to touch that bump and 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 chat to her and find out how she was feeling and um and then we talked quite a bit about the birth and what would happen and so um in the ukraine and it's different in 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 different countries but in the ukraine the father the intended father um is not permitted in the room um and the intended mother is um and so i chatted to marina i was like you know i had only we had spoken a lot but um we'd only just met and I, and I did ask her if she wanted me to be there and, and she was very relaxed. She was like, whatever you would like to do. Um, and interestingly, she didn't have anyone. She didn't have a birthing partner. She did it all by herself. Her family actually lived, um, about six hours away. Um, her, her husband and her three kids. So they were all, um, uh, you know, not able to to get there. And I was like, do you really have a sister or your mom come? And she's like, no, I'll do this. You know, she was just an absolute machine. She was an incredible lady. Um, but most of the surrogates in Ukraine, they just, they do it themselves. Um, and so I had originally said that I wouldn't be in the room. And, and the reason was that um, I felt that Jan and I had been on this journey together and it was a little unfair uh, that he wouldn't be in the room. And I wanted both of us to meet our baby girl together. Um, so I had originally made the decision that I, I wouldn't be in. And, and so when we got to the hospital, when we got the call, 
saying she's gone into labor like oh my gosh and we scrambled <laughs> and we got our bag ready and like every other and you know expectant parents and we got our hospital bag with it with baby's clothes and everything and, and we rushed to the hospital um and we um went to our room when we were waiting and um they did let me go in and, and chat with her and so I went in and we talked for a little bit and um I came out and then I kind of popped back in really really to kind of check on her and it was the moment it was it was all happening it was the action moment and I was just like oh my gosh and I didn't know what to do at that stage so I just grabbed her hand and um yeah I, I was actually so lucky and it was so amazing to be there when when Quinn was born and actually um the amazing lady that Marina is so just after Quinn was born um, and they were about to cut the cord, Marina was like, no, 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 and spoke in Ukrainian to the nurse. And I, I didn't really understand what she was saying, but she was basically saying to her, like, let me, you know, let mom uh, cut the cord. So I got to cut the cord. And then Marina actually like pulled her phone out from under the pillow and is like snapping pictures of me cutting the cord. And <laughs> um, this woman is just like giving birth. Um, so yeah, I got this amazing opportunity to be in the room, um, which was slightly unexpected. So I had left and I came back about 15 minutes later, rolling in our little baby. Um, I was like, Jan, meet our baby. So <laughs> um, that was how it kind of happened at that time. So yeah, amazing to be there. And, um, and, and she finally arrived. What, what so. were you both feeling? Tears? Was there emotion? Oh, yes just <laughs> yes <laughs> just overwhelm just everything really it was yeah I mean absolute elation um and relief and just yeah it's it's I mean people that have you know had kids know how special it is and everything but um yeah I think eight you know eight nine years of, of everything finally just melted away in one second which was a, a wonderful kind of weight off the shoulders and we were just so happy and you have your beautiful baby girl, Quinn, who because of COVID and um, restrictions on traveling, so I haven't sadly met, but I've seen pictures of her and she's absolutely gorgeous and happy little little yeah. girl. And what a massive blessing for you. And can, can you tell, tell us what she's like, what it feels like to be her mummy and daddy? Perhaps if you were, you know, after wondering for eight, nine years whether <laughs> this would ever happen. Well, I don't know if, if other parents really want to hear about how, how wonderful she is because... Uh... <laughs> we've uh, we've got an absolute gem of a, a girl who is just just the happiest you know content you know the inquisitive sleeping well eating no crying kind of a girl which we've been so lucky we kind of laugh that we went through all the trouble to get her and she's an absolute gem and other people just have you know a few glasses of wine too many and uh, they have a kid and it, it's not as, as as ideal so i think everything balances out you deserve an easy kid after many years of um, having that journey. I think that's fair. That's the universe being fair, I think. Yep. Yeah, absolutely. Do you know what, though? I definitely still pinch myself. I still have these little moments. You know, most of the time, 99% of the time, I'm just now a regular mum who's trying to make sure she eats vegetables and um uh you know we've just been through toilet training experience there she's just she's two and a half and um you know just regular mum stuff but there's definitely times that I just have this like pinch myself moment when I'm like reading stories at bedtime or she says oh my goodness she goes love you mummy and I'm just like oh my gosh oh. my heart melts and I 
just cannot believe we are we are so lucky to have this amazing child and and uh yeah so definitely like regular uh parent status but there's still this this these little glows of like oh my gosh we're here like we're a family and um yeah so there's just there's just it's amazing it's absolutely amazing and it's a, it's just a dream come true really and very deserving so happy that you both got there in the end um and I know you still keep in contact, Marina. Tell us what that woman, you've kind of done it already, but tell us a bit more about what that woman means to you, what the gift that she's given you. Well, we've actually, um, we've Quinn's middle name is Marina. So um, we, uh, you know, Marina is such an important person to us and we always want Quinn to know who she is. So her middle name is Marina um we have photos of marina um in her bedroom we talk about her and um, she doesn't fully understand yet um but we have a couple of books um now that surrogacy is just a little bit more common there's actually even like kids books explaining a little bit more about it so um we we want quinn to know who she is and um we're in regular touch we send photos and videos and send messages and she sends photos of her kids and uh, we actually met we met one of her um daughters um while we were there um so um yeah i mean she just gave us the most incredible gift and there's no words um and and no amount of money that can ever thank her for what she did for us like she brought quinn into our lives um and we would without her we'd just be another childless couple and and we're instead we're a very happy family of three um and just Quinn brings us so much joy and and we just we can can never thank Marina enough Jan do you want to say anything about Marina too there yeah I mean I just Marina everything Pamela said there that you know she you know yeah we, we picked her off uh you know a list of of many others that I'm sure would have all been great great surrogates but um no, she was actually Jen, just everything about her. And, you know, she just, she's always asking about Quinn, you know, she's, um, yeah, I don't know, it's hard to say. She's just such, a, such an angel to us. And we just, yeah, we said we cannot thank her enough for everything that she's she's done and made this possible for us. Yeah, I guess it's overwhelming. How do you answer that one about her giving you, you know, your beautiful girl? Um, but I think that sums it up perfectly. And is is there hope for another sibling? Do you have more embryos? You know, is that something that you're thinking about longer term? Yeah, we yeah we while we were over there, um, Pamela did another round of IVF, and uh, um, they looked at her old records and decided to give her a whole lot. Uh, a lot more drugs than she had the first time so there was a lot of eggs there and we ended up um, getting seven embryos um, which we've kept on ice over in the Ukraine and we're hoping to to start looking down the, the avenue of a, of a, a second a, a sibling um, probably sort of into next year so um, yeah it's getting closer um, and yeah we'll, we'll see we've got the embryos over there and we'll just have to hope that yeah things things happen again like they, they did with Gwyn I think though, um, uh, I agree with you on there, but with um, with the sibling journey, I mean, we we feel so blessed with Quinn. Um, we would love a sibling um, for Quinn. I grew up. I'm a, I'm one of five. Jan's one of three. Um, you know, I, I I know how important family is, and and we would absolutely love her to have a, a brother or sister. 
um we so we have the the two embryos of which Quinn was was one um I actually we did another round of IVF um which actually resulted in in no embryos um and and I I wasn't getting any younger so we said right we'll we'll throw everything at it when we when we went to the Ukraine and, and did this third round um and we have seven um embryos which is which is amazing um but for anyone in the IVF world um they actually they only we only got them to day three they're not day five embryos so they're they're not quite as strong as perhaps day five and and um in fact in terms of grades only two of them are kind of high grade um but we kind of made the decision um that that was it so we were in the ukraine two and a half years ago those embryos were created then and we have those seven chances which sounds like a lot but obviously um some people you you know you sometimes put in two and hope that one will will take you you never know with with miscarriages is like any pregnancy and um, but if we if nothing if we get pregnant with one of those amazing we just want one more you know a sibling for Quinn and um, but if we're not successful with those um with one of those seven we kind of made a decision that we won't go through IVF again that 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 our journey will kind of end there and and really that was about like it did take so long to get Quinn and and we just don't want to spend our time hoping and 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 you know this this podcast is hopes and dreams and and um you know many people we know so many people who have gone for so so long we actually met a couple who tried for 20 years to get pregnant they actually finally finally did get their their baby and it was amazing um but we know how long uh, and complicated and difficult um, the journey can be. And so we kind of went, right, we've, we've got our embryos. We're going to give it a really red hot crack. That sounds so Aussie. Um, <laughs> when we do give it a go. So next year we're like, right, we're going to throw everything at it um, and really, really hope for that sibling. Um, and if not, then we're, we're kind of drawing a line under it, which also mm-hmm. makes me sad. But hopefully, hopefully that won't be the case. If it is, then we're going to get lots of dogs. Um, but if not, hopefully that sibling will, will, you know, we'll be able to have a sibling for Quinny. And I I totally get that because being in that different position, but a similar one in the sense of it's all consuming and what you want. And then it overtakes your life in so many ways. And it has to reach a point where you think, oh no, stop. I just need to be thankful for what I have. And Chris and I are actually going to a private clinic this evening, um, to have tests done to sort of come to that eventually with all the information come to that decision too so I totally get that there has to be a point and even if it's a sad point and you'll still feel sad having to make that decision but I really hope that you do get that happy ending again next year and um after all this to to get there and and have a little sibling for the lovely Quinn Um, and we hope that for you Emma (laughs) we hope it for us and we also hope it for you and Chris so we'll have our fingers and everything crossed for you guys too thank you thank you and 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 do you have any final advice that you'd give to others considering surrogacy that you might not have mentioned earlier in our chat I think research I mean yeah research is, is key you know it's it's such a kind of unknown big kind of confusing world out there in the surrogacy world um you know when you first start off and then you just need to get your head down and, and really do your research on it and the, the more you do that the more you see it it's you know it, it happens everywhere it's not as complicated as you know you first think once you kind of get into it and everything so 
you know, research countries, research agencies, you know, do as much as you can, you know, and that, that's going to definitely lead you in the right right direction when you're getting down to the, the nitty-gritty nitty of, of, you know, actually starting the process with a, with a surrogate. Yeah, agreed. And I think, and I think take it one step at a time. I mean, I think it's the same with, with even IVF. It can be so overwhelming and, and it's a little bit like, where do you start? Just take, break each that each little bit down um, and, and, and work through that and, and not get too overwhelmed with all of the other bits that, that, that come with it. Um, and I guess just keep going. I mean, you know, we, we met that couple, it was 20 years. Our journey was about eight or nine years. Um, it's so worth it. Um, just keep going. There's, there's, you know, hope, um, out there and there's, uh, there's, it, it can happen. You know, we, we feel like if it happened for us and we had so many hurdles, we had difficulties with citizenship and we had legal issues and we had medical issues and, um, you know, age wasn't on our side. So we just had so many hurdles and just keep going and take, take, take those um you know steps along it's it's a marathon it's it's not a sprint you need to be a team you really do need to be a team and you two definitely are and um i'm so glad that you guys got there because as i said earlier i always knew when i first met you as a couple i remember in south london met you and i thought wow this is some couple and i knew that you would be amazing parents and i just want everyone including yourselves to you know if you want to have a be a parent you have that opportunity and it's bloody hard and you know, you, it is about keeping going. You're right, not giving up, and it's a long road, but you have to have that hope and the dream, like the podcast is called, to keep going to do it. And as you said, all of that went as soon as you had that beautiful girl in your arms in in Kiev. And I'm so thankful. I knew this would be a great episode, and that's why I wanted to finish the season on it because it's 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 the tough journey of it, but you got there and you got that happy ending, and it's an amazing, inspiring story. And I know that everyone will feel inspired listening to it and I hope it inspires people that maybe have given up a little bit that you can you can get there in the end it just, just takes time so thank you so much both of you for coming on because you're amazing and I hope I get to meet that little girl someday Aww. soon as well Aww, thank you, thank so you much. for the opportunity yeah, yeah thanks too. Yeah, thank you so much. It's been great to be able to tell our story and hopefully inspire some people. We've been there where um, we've just felt so distraught and, and feeling like it was never going to happen. So, um, yeah, hopefully our words have inspired some people. And thank you for the kind words. And, yeah, hopefully we will get together for a drink yeah. in in Scotland or Australia soon with our We're girls. Overdue. And, We're overdue. Yeah. That'll be a love. I can't wait for that too. Thanks. Thanks so much, guys. No worries. Thank you so much for listening to the last episode of season one of the Hopes and Dreams podcast. I hope you found it hopeful. Um, we're going to be taking a wee break until October, but we'll be back then. Uh, do keep an eye on social media. We'll be giving some updates during that time, but we'll back, be back with season two in October. And we'll see you next time. Thank you.